0: I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. With me is Carol Hamilton, Senior Vice President, Global Solutions at Proveneer, which recently carried out a survey that showed that only 18% of fintechs and financial services organizations believe their credit risk models are accurate at least 75% of the time. Now, if I turn that 18% on its head, it means that 82% don't believe their models are accurate. Have I got that right, Carol?
1: Correct. Yes. So what do we
0: do to improve that?
1: Well, it's a staggering result, really. It just highlights how there's so little confidence out there in the financial services industry that they are evaluating risk in a way that uh, they believe in so it was a it was a very startling result from the survey indeed you know we we know what's going on in the market, but we were very keen to just test out what sort of level of of recognition was out there and we got some very frank results just as you've started to highlight
0: well, who's making these credit decisions then obviously without confidence
1: well, I think. Some of the issue is that the, you know, the the potential hasn't been um, sort of maximized um, in this space. And so, you know, the new approaches aren't being adopted as quickly and as far reaching as we'd hope. And the investments are really only starting to be made. And in fact, where they have been made in different technologies such as AI, there are various reasons why people aren't quite seeing that return yet and, and getting the benefit they hope to.
0: Well, let's go into a little bit of detail, if we may. What are the building blocks that need to be applied to improve credit risk decisioning?
1: Sure. It's it's a great question. And historically, organisations will have predominantly used the data that they capture and have access to either through a basic bureau or something like that. And obviously, depending on the geography we're talking about, there is varying richness of data available. But that that's really the old way. What's so good to see now in the market is how people are embracing and starting to appreciate the value of the wealth of extra data sources that can be brought in to help make that credit risk decision so it's no longer good enough um, and accurate enough to really just use limited data it's very much a case of the more the better so we're seeing incredible you know fast investments in the use of different types of data alternative data to improve this credit decisioning um, because the more data you put into a decisioning engine obviously the more informed it is and the better that decision will be so that's the first building block and the second is actually how to extract the intelligence from all that data that you want to leverage to make a good decision about someone or an application or 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 an event and that's predominantly really in our view, um, AI that can that can be transformative in this scenario. So AI and different machine learning uh, technologies are able to really uncover the unknown, find dominance in feature or aspects that features or aspects, sorry, that people may not have recognized with sort of legacy approaches. And it means that, you know, when decisions are being made, the AI is driving up accuracy and making it as you know, powerful as a decision can be to leverage that data that's going in
0: let me ask you this question which I always do when people bring up data you mentioned alternative data what are you describing as alternative data
1: I guess anything non-traditional, it's a good question, and we debate this ourselves as well. What, what is the actual definition of that? Um, so I'll give some examples. It's really about the fact that, I, I guess it's a term come around with the digitalization of the sector and consumers' lives and behaviours. So when we're looking at alternative data, we're looking at the profile typically of the identity and, and the attributes associated to that identity. So, for example, exploring any intelligence we can find and understand about someone's email or someone's mobile device or you know, the IP that they're coming in to interact with the organisation on. And it's it's looking at behavioural data, so how, what's normal for someone or you know, what would be expected and therefore what differs. It's actually trying to sort of scrape and leverage a, a wealth of sources that historically would not have been used.
0: Okay, let me move on to another big number from your survey, of respondents consider a low-code or no-code user interface critical. Is it the case that in the past, business functions have been held hostage by IT functions and want to take back control?
1: That's a strong statement. I mean, to be fair to IT departments, I, I don't know if they've ever proactively attempted the hostage scenario, but I think it's a, a, in, in sentiment, I'd say that's pretty accurate. In that, there had historically been very little other option, no, no other choice really for organisations other than, you know, very heavy code development-based software projects that especially in larger organisations had to involve multiple stakeholders to implement, not only just sign off. So I think, yes, with legacy technologies through no fault of anyone's own, they haven't required very specific skills to implement and not just implement, but then edit and evolve. And I think that's also part of the problem. It's great to set it up, but then how can it change? How can there be some, you know, a dynamic response to something that the organization might then want to go out to market with? That's all been extremely limited. Whereas, yes, indeed, in our survey, we found this absolute embrace of the the no-code technology, which allows, you know, the business sponsors to use their teams and, you know, right at source, be editing and updating and maintaining these sorts of, you know, sort of decisioning techniques and environments so that they can be very much in control, but also react and be more agile as their organizations grow and evolve.
0: Now, there's one word that you used that I want to pick up on and explore a little further, and the word was Mm. legacy. Mm. Many financial services organisations are still employing legacy approaches. That's got to be a huge risk all by itself.
1: It is. And I think whilst legacy approaches, to to genericise with that term, are still being used, at least... They are being used sort of in different ways. So, for example, many years ago, uh, it became a big, exciting thing to produce huge, big data lakes and uh, sort of data warehouses to try and put lots and lots of data in together and these, these huge data integration projects to be able to then you know have all that data in one place. And then be able to sort of use it and, and do various processes um, with it. However, even in what we would term legacy scenarios, at least surrounding technology has absolutely moved on as well. Which means that, for example, if you are wanting to call in extra data to be part of your decision and you want to interact with other types of data and other organizations that use and provide different data. Actually, there are very quick and fast ways to do that through, you know, sort of very quick API connections. So whilst there are still teams and lots of reliability, um, sorry, responsibility for the IT department still to maintain and use these, they are actually getting their hands on agile technologies themselves to try and speed up the processes and, and allow them to make changes more easily than before.
0: Now, we've been talking about this from the point of view of the institution. What does, please quantify this for me, what does improved credit risk analysis mean for customers? How is it going to benefit the consumer, whether that's a business consumer or a, a retail consumer?
1: Sure. I think in a few ways. Firstly, they can be more protected they can be more included, and they can be better served. So in terms of being more protected, when organizations are investing in technology that can detect fraud more easily, or, you know, get a handle on that risk, that then in effect does protect, you know, the majority of consumers who are wanting to have an interaction and and, uh, a relationship with an organization, and know that they're safe in some way. So that's very important. And we've seen that, you know, as as far as investments go. You know, we've seen that over two thirds of the respondents to our survey saw fraud or fighting fraud as absolutely a primary reason for using different types of data and and exploring different things. So the focus on fraud, not just to protect the organisation, but the consumer is very important. Then in terms of inclusion, we see, especially in various pockets of the world, different markets where there might not be so much data that can be leveraged by organisations when they're releasing credit. You know, there's a very, very important you know debate here around financial inclusion and, and giving access to credit facilities to individuals who perhaps just have that thin. They have a very limited. History Now, that doesn't mean that they would be bad customers. It just means that an organization doesn't know them. Therefore, it's a bit of a risk for them to undertake a relationship with them without, you know, uh, without some, some more confidence. So I think the fact that increased use of data and leveraging of AI to sort of best use that means that the markets are more open to those who have historically been shut out, which is obviously extremely important. And then the final thing is around um being you know sort of better served. I think you know when I look at the debate around you know larger financial services organizations and, and smaller fintechs and how they compete and work together, you know, I often say that. Actually, what they're offering is something very similar in terms of an end product. It's a bit of credit, or it's it's a way to spend and manage money. But what really can set people apart is actually how they do focus on the customer, how they can serve the customer better, make the interactions with that customer smooth, of interest to the consumer, and make it beneficial and and you know dare I say enjoyable. And so, actually, the way that technology and data can be leveraged to serve the consumer is becoming very much more important in terms of priorities for these organizations we work with and there's so much there that can be leveraged to absolutely get it right for individuals and and serve the consumer as well
0: finally what is proveneer's own role in this what is it you're offering
1: we are offering really an end to end unified solution so we work with organizations really a different you know, steps in their journey, in their process. It might be someone who day one is setting up a new organization or a new product line. It might be a tier one bank who has you know a very established history. But we offer something very complete and unified. We offer holistic risk decisioning across identity and credit and fraud. And we do that with our platform, which is cloud native, no code. And it is also Integrated with an, a huge expansive FinTech data intelligence ecosystem, which is necessary to interact with quickly to drive a really good decision. And of course, our decisioning in that platform is AI powered. So it's as accurate as we believe the market can get. And it is also very fast in its execution to allow our organizations that we work with to serve their customers quickly, accurately, safely, and evolve with them as their businesses change.
0: Carol Hamilton, Senior Vice President, Global Solutions at Provenir, Thank you very much.